everybody. Happy New Year. Happy Holidays. Merry Christmas. Hanukkah. Kwanzaa. Whatever your faith or creed is. Just enjoy yourself. It's cold outside where I'm at. So just try to enjoy some time with family. Anyways, this is the final episode of the season, guys. I hope you, uh, guys and gals, I hope you enjoy it. Um, I can't think of a better way than to end with this guest. Um, but before we get started, just want to give a shout out to all the affiliates and friends of the show. So if you guys are interested in Bocking 4 or 14 of Comfrey, send an email to naturesimagefarm at gmail.com. Uh, make sure you go to the click on the link or the photo in the show notes. And it's going to take you to their Facebook page. So if you have any questions, you can also message them via Facebook as well. Um, if you like permaculture stuff and uh, you're looking for some cool tools and everything else he has uh, at newfarmsupply.com, use code word sample to save 20% off any purchase. And then finally, last but and definitely not least, um, Profitable Urban Farming. So this is a, you know the last episode of the season. Failing Forward was a big part of the show this year, and so was learning how to be a, a farmer. So uh, if you guys are interested in learning how to farm and farm profitably, it doesn't matter where you live, highly recommend you guys check out ProfitableUrbanFarming.com. Uh, click on the link in the show notes. If you click on the first image, it's you'll save $100. The second image you, is the payment plan. All right, guys, enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Failing Forward. I'm joined always by my co-host, Mr. Scott Hebert. Scott, thanks for coming on once again. No, thanks for having me on. Always, man. Um, and uh, super excited to bring this this guest to you guys. He's uh, uh, the mentor to many. Um, if you guys, you guys, if you listen to the show, you have to be familiar since it was his course which brought me and Scott together and connected me to. So many people, and I have a, a ton of gratitude for this man's mentorship and, and friendship and just hooking me up with the right people. You guys probably know him as the um, co-host of the Urban Farmer podcast and, and the the figure of urban farming, Mr. Curtis Stone. How are you doing, sir? Good, Drew. How are you? Good, man. Good. I'm excited to have you on. This is the third time I've had you on, and this time I've actually farmed a whole season. Not not very successfully, but I I attempted it. And uh, but uh, wanted to get you on, man, just because you know you're always changing up your game. I watched all your YouTube videos uh, when I was still working and during the season, and just you know it, it's it's a never and it just kind of proves that it's just a never ending process to mm-hmm. to make your farm more efficient. And I think it's. Oh, oh keep going. Sorry. Oh no. Uh, uh, just yeah. Um, yeah, it is, and uh, it's what's kept me in the game. It's what's kept our farm um, competitive because I've helped create a ton of competition for myself yeah. <laughs> with the authoring <laughs> of my book and then the reproduction of my content. I have a lot of fans in Kelowna, actually. Believe it or not. And, um, I mean, by, you know, a massive order of magnitude there on the U S but there are a surprising number of, of people in Kelowna that really follow my stuff and have my book and, and all this kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, we're still farming successfully. I mean, there's no, no question, um, just to be like, you know, honest and, and forthcoming that I do make the majority of my living off of my authoring and public speaking and, and, uh, workshops and stuff like that now, but my farm is still profitable. We did 105. Well, the year's not totally done, but it's coming up at about 105,000 this year on a third of an acre. And, um, you know, I'm happy to now pay at least a third of that to the guy that works with me, Mark, and um, certainly part of my success this year and even last year was a result of his work and uh, some of his innovation on the farm. So I'm certainly not alone in this. And um, I'm definitely a person who is a sponge when it comes to what others are doing. 
And I think one thing that's made me more successful over the last two years in particular is that my travels have taken me to some of the best market gardeners in the world. And I have absorbed and traded information with them. And that's definitely accelerated our continual growth on the farm. And that's something that I continuously strive to do because I think one thing that's different about what's happening in agriculture today opposed to in previous years is that the younger generation that's coming into it have abandoned the scarcity mindset. Well, maybe not the social justice warriors, but, but the, (laughs) (laughs) but the, uh, the people that are out there crushing it are thinking abundantly and they're willing to share their information and they're, um, willing to take that information that they gain from others through sharing and come back and restructure and get back out there and crush it. So that's, that's an exciting thing. I mean, your guys's podcast is a perfect example of that. And all this, this sharing that we're doing today is allowing us to fail forward together, essentially. So as far as this year in particular, uh, we did change a lot. We, we, um, we dropped a lot of restaurant clients this year intentionally and we went into a new market space that we'd never, well, I'd done before to some degree, but not nearly close to what we are now. We really took on grocery stores as a, as our predominant client or clients. And, um, that was uncharted territory. And for, and for, for many years, I, kind of wrote that off because it's like, oh, then there's a third party and you you kind of siphon away your profits and your overhead is high and all these kind of things that were assumptions that I think were actually limiting beliefs. The more I analyze, um, you know, moving into those and discovering things that I didn't really know that were true. And so that was a, a big surprise. Other thing that we did was we dropped the farmer's market. So that was a big move. And it was something that um, I had a lot of fear about for many years about doing. Much of it was based in the fact that culturally and socially I enjoy the farmer's market and it's been part of my life and livelihood for many years. And it's also what allowed me to get my start. Yeah. So letting go of that was, was difficult. But was that decision mainly for time versus dollars? Because I know for, you know, something that Scott and I both experienced this year was going into it. Like I was making my most money from the farmer's market, but working a full time job, it was so hard because of the prep time, like getting prepped for it and everything. Yeah. I mean, there was no singular issue. It was it was it was the multitude of issues. Um, That was certainly one of them. The, The other was the just lifestyle is, you know, I was getting tired of having to do that every weekend and never, never really getting to do much on a Friday night. Not that I'm out partying or anything, but just so that my girlfriend and I could enjoy our lives a little bit more. So I would say it was half dollars per time and half quality of life. That makes sense. That makes sense. And then, so for the grocery stores, I know like Scott, I mean that you, you saying that is really, um, I think Scott, was that what really made you want to, to get into grocery stores too? Just seeing Curtis's success right away. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense, but the same thing, I kind of had those limiting beliefs too. The same thing that everybody else has where it's just like, that seems so much work and it seems like there's going to be so many barriers to get in there. But when I took my samples to the grocery stores, I thought that the guy was just going to be like, oh, no, whatever. But he said, hey, the only reason we don't have salad greens is because they don't keep. And I said, well, here's this sample. I'll just come back in two weeks and we'll see how it did. And then when I came back in two weeks, there was one leaf that had went bad in the bag. Mm-hmm. And he was like, this is awesome. And I'm like, perfect. So I don't know. I just thought there was going to be a lot more limiting beliefs. But after or sorry, there was going to be a lot more like um hurdles, I guess, to getting into it, but everybody was in right away. So it's just such an easier path to start out with because like I still am working a job. So I think that doing two revenue streams last year, it was, if I had gotten into the farmer's market that I wanted to, it might've been a little bit different, but trying to do restaurants and a farmer's market and work another job was definitely pushing it. 
So next mm-hmm. year, it makes a lot more sense just to streamline that and do one revenue, re- one revenue stream. I, you know, I'm the big limitation with that is I don't have like a resilient business, but it's my second year in business. You're not going to have a resilient business no matter what you do. So you kind of just got to make some moves sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting, man. So Curtis, how much of your, your business, cause I know you've talked about it in the group, like have you really switched over to the grocery stores and, and, you know, firing the customers, going to grocery stores, working with aggregators. Was that, was that more of a, because it was, it, is it, I'm, I'm guessing that also leads more to like lifestyle, like what you were saying earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely. But what, what was your question? Is, I guess it was. I didn't quite I understand. Guess, I didn't quite understand either. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs> I was trying to tie the conversation in. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's just, you know, with, with the grocery stores and, and the aggregator and everything, I mean, it, it seems like it's a lot more production time, like like packaging time. It seemed like that was a big transition. Yes. And, and what other changes did you – I guess this is a way better question. How did that affect your infrastructure updates? Because I saw you went to the Greens Bubbler – and now yeah. you're, you're upgrading too, and you're you're going a lot more automated. I noticed as well. Well, tr- well, trying to as much as we can, but um, yeah, I mean, it certainly did affect the amount of post harvest work that we had to do. Like, for example, with restaurants, we for many years wouldn't wash the greens, be- and um, it's just because a lot of the chefs didn't want us to. Like, they would want us to wash them if they were dirty. But if they weren't dirty, they preferred to get them unwashed because they had to wash them in the kitchen anyways for health code reasons. And um, that kept their shelf life longer because then they're handled less. But since our production is predominantly now aggregators and grocery stores that are packed down to, like, say, a five-ounce unit, for example, there's a few different types of units depending on the product. But, that, yeah, that means that there's more post-harvest and there's more packing. So on the flip side of that, First, on face value of that, you might look at that and say, well, geez, that's a lot more time to, to put into those crops. But here's the reason it's not, at least. And this is, this is very specific to a person's own personal experience and the place that they're in. But in, in our experience, it hasn't become more work. In fact, it's less because the thing that people discount the most on where they put their time when they're running a business is managing customers. And chefs are high maintenance customers generally speaking i mean obviously within chefs themselves there's there's a whole spectrum of what is a high maintenance or a low maintenance customer so on and so forth but if you were to just say take broad sweeps to say farmers markets you know any kind of direct consumer markets and then talking about chefs and grocery stores and aggregators uh, grocery stores are the lowest maintenance customer as far as how how you manage that customer the day-to-day communication getting paid, delivering, they're low maintenance. Like, you know, for a kitchen, for example, uh, and I'll just speak in general because, again, there's different types here. But in general, in general, delivering to a kitchen requires um, making sure they see your, what you're selling because chefs have a lot, well, at least in my experience, have a lot of farmers coming at them. So they're often overwhelmed with product offers. So you have to make sure you're on the top that they see. So that means constant communication, text messages, phone calls, emails for them just to place an order. And then for them to place their order, there's often a conversation. They'll want to know about a certain thing because they want to list it on their menu in a certain way. And then when it comes to uh, delivering the product, you show up, you drop off the product. There's conversations in the kitchen. There's a lot of FaceTime with people in that kitchen which are important because kitchens have high turnovers and so as a business practice it's good uh it's good practice to know who's in that kitchen because some of them might leave eventually and if you don't have some kind of foothold in there then as soon as there's a staff turnover you're gone and then you have to go and rebuild that relationship again so there's that and then the other part of it is getting paid restaurants are notorious for not paying their bills so there's management involved there, whereas grocery stores, at least in our experience, it's it's mostly a standing order that's hot, that's very predictable, and 
you show up with the stuff and drop it off and you're gone. It, that, that's it. There's no, um, not to say that there aren't grocery stores that don't pay their bills. In our experience, we haven't seen that yet. The, the payments are consistently on time and their, their books are correct. There's, there's, there's very little going back and forth with, oh, you missed this invoice and this voice. You know, like one, one thing that restaurants classically do is they skip the big invoices. So it's like, and I've seen this for years is, you know, you, you see, you look in your accounting software and you've got a list of invoices in chronological order. And then, you know, you'll get a check that they just kind of like paid three or four off that are far ahead on the timeline than, than two real big ones that were like 700 and 800 bucks. And so now you got to go back and, 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 and put a statement together, email that to them, you know, contact their accounts payable and then say, Hey, uh, you missed these invoices with grocery stores and aggregators. I never have to do that. Yeah. So, I've also found that, uh, there's a little bit more like for some reason at the restaurants, there's a little bit more haggling probably because like they are having product coming to them all the time right but they want they want you to be always do like a little bit better a little bit better on the price do this but oh, like grocery stores i went there and i'm just like yeah 315 the guys are like oh yeah i can do that yeah like it was it was yeah. no problem that's it and it depends on the kitchen itself as far as restaurants are concerned but there is often a incentive from the managerial or the ownership to the chef that if they can meet a certain, if they can keep their food costs below a certain percentage of overall gross, they get a bonus. So sense. there, there's an incentive there to keep costs down, and uh, not all kitchens, but I've seen it a lot, especially with bigger restaurants. There's like you know they'll say, okay, if you can keep our food costs below thirty percent, then you'll get like a 50% bonus on the difference or something like that. They'll incentivize them. It, that, that percentage plays out however you can imagine. But the, so in grocery stores, not so much. That's great. And then with the aggregator, um, I, I actually had Jay on. So I'm actually going to – Jay's going to actually come out Tuesday before I launch this one. Um, how, like, how did that kind of come into play? Because it went from – Jay from uh, Farmbound? Yeah. Get us. Yeah. Yeah, she's super excellent. Cool. Okay, yeah. how uh, did you how did you how did you connect with her? Uh, Javin. Okay, awesome. Yeah, and yes, yeah, she's awesome, and she's crushing it. Yeah, she, she's a she's a perfect example of like just sheer entrepreneurial spirit. Like no fucking whining, no no butt hurt about anything. Just go out and crush it. She's doing really well. It's and, crazy how far she has to ship her food too. Like, and she, yeah, like, but I mean, the, it's, and it's, it's all from un- demand. It's so crazy. It's well, it's unreal. I mean, I, I I don't want to name names. I mean, you've already mentioned her. I don't like to name my customers and shows, but um, we sell to another aggregator that's been in business far longer than Jay has. Like, they've got at least ten or maybe even fifteen years on them. Jay has already met their volume uh, customer volume in the two years she's been operating than this other customer has in 15 years and and you know some people had different motivations on on their growth but and that's certainly the case it's not that these two are um like in they're not even in competition whatsoever it's just jay is interested in meeting market demand and going out there and going for it and she's a prime example of the interest in the aggregator model and how much demand there is for it. Like somebody could come into our area. Somebody could even come into Kelowna and directly compete with um, one of the, I think there might be two aggregators here now, but could come in and directly compete with those aggregators and they wouldn't even be taking their comp, their, their customers, they'd just be going into uncharted territory because it's just it's it's such a new model. There's there's just like there's no incumbent, right? There's no Amazon in that space yet, and so so yeah, it's, it's just, just a, a, it's a good model because farmers don't want to sell, and most people don't want to go to the farm to get shit or go to the farmers market. Like that's, that's right. the farmers market is such a an imposition on your time. That's the it problem. Is. And like yeah, you have to go there Saturday morning and you're asking that customer to give up whatever else they wanted to do. Like you, you said, Curse, that you want your time back on Friday night. But so does that farmer's market customer, too. 
Right? They don't want to stay up. They go to bed early so they can go to the farmer's market in the morning and get their produce. They want to go stop on the way home from work when they can get it and just go to the store. Yeah. And, and, and having said that, I agree with you hundred percent. Having said that though, there is still always going to be a demand for farmer's markets and I think it'll continually grow. However, if you want to get this stuff more mainstream and you want to get it out to a wider audience, you need to meet that audience in the middle. Yeah, the problem with the farmer's market is, like you said, Scott, you're asking a lot of that customer. And that is, generally speaking, not a business model for success. A business model for success is asking the customer what they want and taking it to them. And that's where the aggregator model um, is is really killing it. The, the thing that's going to take that model to the next level is going to be the implementation of proper software that can aggregate all the other things in the middle because there is quite a supply line, a chain of supply in there and how you get the demands of the, the customer met by the farmer to you know be moved around and delivered and all those other details that are super important. And there's, I haven't seen a software that's the ultimate one yet. The best one I've seen is called Ubi that came out of New Zealand. Uh, I saw it when I was down there. They're doing a really good job, but there's still the marketplace is still wide open. And because I, I think another reason why it's doing well, and this is sort of like my anarchist philosophy in the sense that um, you have very little regulation. And if, if you look at industries and sectors that really do well and accelerate quickly, they're the ones that are the least regulated and have the, the, the least amount of like incumbent bullshit that they need to navigate like software as a prime example least regulated most amount of development and this aggregators in the food sector right now are that so it's not to say that they won't be they won't be um more regulated and stuff like that eventually it's just that it's such a new space that it's an exciting it's a, an exciting place to get into and i talking to some bureaucrats myself i would say there's still a number of years until they can really do anything because it's still a small space. So I, I think we've got at least another five years where some people are going to be out there just to start businesses, accumulate a really solid amount of capital, and then once regulations come in, figure out how best to navigate them. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I think, I think too, I mean, the, the biggest thing, and it, it was what you're hitting on too, like it's, it's all about convenience, man. We're going to – most people just want what's convenient to them, which is why Amazon is so successful. And, and that's another reason why it's so successful is it, it, it makes getting local food convenient for everybody, which is what you guys both said. Um, and, and, you know, so, so kind of shifting gears here, um, want to talk to you more about kind of the expansion on your street. You said you're at a, a third of an acre. I know you took on your, your neighbor's lot and you created this uh, super backyard for yourself. And, mm -hmm. uh, but you had another property that you are already having issues with anyways. Um, but I think the more exciting thing is, you know, when we when I had you on the first two times is I remember, I don't know if we, it was during the podcast or after when we were talking, you, you said, you know, your biggest goal is to farm your street. And it seems like, you know, this year was a huge step in that direction. Um, how do you how do you kind of see that expansion going right now with land and, and neighbors? So you're getting to the point where you're, you're farming your street and just that other chunk of land that there's no house on well it's a long game you know it's not um it's not something that you can make happen right away i can tell you though that i've got an offer on my neighbor's property behind my property and there's a good chance i don't know if it's gonna happen this season now but there's there's a good chance that I'll be farming it before I buy it. That would be really ideal because then I could kind of transition in there really easily. Um, but I, but I don't, I don't care. I mean, I, I've built enough optionality into my business model that if my farm were to just operate the way it is now in perpetuity, it, it would be fine. We've got a good thing going on, and 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 um, there's enough growth in it for me to, you know, stay doing it. Um, but the thing that, that's, that's, that's really cool about where I am in my neighborhood. And again, it's just, all this stuff is specific to my experience. I, I, I never want to uh, tell people that you can do this exact same thing in your exact same place. Cause I, I have no idea. 
all I can do is comment on my own experiences, but I've, I've built really good social equity in my neighborhood. And it's a lot of it has to do with just like doing favors for my neighbors um, and just being a nice person to have in the neighborhood where that the folks around me look at me and they say that that person is an asset to this neighborhood. And, and I, and I continuously strive to, um, build those forms of capital, the social capital, because I think that is really the most important form of capital. It's not tangible in the sense that financial capital or resource capital is, but it is in the sense that when the time comes, like my, my strategy is that when the time comes, they'll sell me their homes. So I've got, um, sort of first dibs on all three neighbors around my property. Like, so both next to me and behind me, I've got, um, I said to all of them, if you're ever going to sell it, I would love to have the first right refusal. And they said, yeah, sure. Great. And then even one door or two doors down for me, this neighbor I've been getting to know, cause I've been plowing his sidewalk, uh, in our, with our crazy winter, I've got a, like a BCS snow plower and, uh, and he's he's stoked, like he loves what I do, and so I wouldn't be surprised if we we're farming his yard at some point soon. Um, and we've taken on another plot just just across our little walkway path, so it's like a half a block from my house. So it's already transitioning there. Um, I think the more I do this, though, the, and the more um, success I've had in my outside career, outside of farming, public speaking, and all that kind of stuff. I'm more interested. I am interested in the education. I really see like huge impact there. So my farm will always continue to operate uh, as it is, to, to more so. But I'm kind of starting to look at a, a five-year plan, maybe even ten-year plan to acquire a larger piece of property just outside the downtown core, like in a more prairie urban area, and build like a like a a proper uh, education type innovation center for agriculture where I'd have maybe 10, 20 acres. I'd live on that land and I would host conferences and teach workshops and have, have a demonstration of all types of sustainable or regenerative agriculture, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And I wouldn't do all those things myself. I just, I just contract or have leases for other individuals to come and be involved. But that's kind of where I'm starting to think I'll, I'll, I will go because I, I, I do find because I'm such a person that is interested in creating content and 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 developing ideas and techniques that I'm even finding within my own urban agricultural space there are it, it's very limiting on what I can do and th- and that's what prompts me to when I travel to seek out other farmers doing cool stuff and interview them yeah those interviews are great by the way I always appreciate uh, I always appreciate your content man and it's you know and it's it's something you put a lot of time into right now that um, it's, it's, it's clearly you doing it cause you love to do it. You know what I mean? It's, it's mm-hmm. not, it's not like something you're just doing to, to make money with. And then, and I think that not that there's anything wrong with making money, but it's, you know, your passion pours out of your content, which I think is why mm-hmm. it, it's, it resonates with so many people. Um, in, in kind of transitioning, speaking of that, you know, um, you're, you're going, you know, you, uh, with the existing thing, I know you do have some some on-site workshops and in, in or workshops and, and you're going to, you have a new intern program. Do you want to, do you want to go into that now or do you want to save that for the uh-huh. end? Um, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. So I am, I'm moving, I'm trying to move all of my, um, workshop, like traveling for workshop type content based on a new format that I'm creating called profitable market gardening. And I'm broadening it. Because I, I do find that the urban thing can be limited, limiting, especially the more that I look at the people that come to my workshops and the, even that take our online course, like most of them are not urban farmers. And so my whole pseudonym or whatever, um, it, it came from the fact that I was urban. And so I was like, okay, it was relevant to my context, but my techniques aren't just limited to urban. They can be apply it anywhere you guys know where you're in the course majority of people there are not urban and um also i'm having a kid 
Katie and I oh, are pregnant and we're, ha- we're having Congrats. a child in April. Thank you. That's exciting. And so this has incentivized me to radically change my lifestyle in that I want to be a parent and I want to be present and I want to be around for my kid. And so I can't be on the road as much. So what I what I want to do is is continue to be just as effective, but kind of hunker down on the 80-20, which is something that I've this is the basis of everything I do in business is focusing on the Pareto principle. Where's the, where's the sweet spot? Where's the 20% that yields 80% of the, um, the yield. And so I look at human beings and the, and the, and, and these ideas in agriculture, just the same as I do with my farming products is like, what are the effective things and what are, who are the effective people that I should focus on to actually have a greater impact and make sure that these ideas, um, go beyond me and improve beyond me that guys like you and Scott Hebert will take these ideas and make them better and perhaps write a book about it. And, 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 you know, they're beyond me. They're, they're not me. You know, we took, I took Elliot Coleman's ideas to another level. So as Jean-Martin Fortier, and that will continue to happen. And I hope that we all continue to innovate. So with that idea, I kind of had this thing where I said to myself, you know, in 10 years, looking at impact, looking at how I'd like to see the world change, I would rather, instead of just like making viral videos, and my videos are certainly not viral um, because the content is too specific, it couldn't be viral, I would way rather go out and train a hundred Spartans, like a hundred people that will go out and fucking crush it, that will, that will go out and, and, and do what I've done and better. And so that was the main incentive as well as the quality of life thing to, to go to this new format. And so now what we're doing is I'm, I'm training people on my farm. So three months of the growing season this year, June, July, and August, oh no, no July, August, and September, I'm running a five-day workshop on my farm, but I'm also taking it beyond. So I'm taking it, I'm going to be at Eric Schultz place in, um, in, uh, where's Eric? Just Arizona. outside of. Yeah, somewhere in Arizona, doing a workshop on his farm. I'm going to be back in Memphis or Selmer, Tennessee at Ray Tyler's farm, doing a five-day workshop there in October. Eric's is in November. And the other places have yet to come up, though I have a variety of options. So my plan is to that during the winter months, I'll be in the southern U.S. teaching these five-day workshops. And the way I'm structuring this format is that it's a 50-50 split with the farm. So I'm trying to really focus, put my money where my mouth is and focus on a sustainable business model that brings just as much value to the host farm as it does for me. Because I don't want to travel as much. And when I travel, I want to travel with my kid and my wife. I want to come there with them, hunker down for five days. We'd be there seven days effectively with travel time and all that. And teach a workshop on this farm. And the, the, the workshops are, are expensive. They're not cheap. But when I look at what people pay to, to do a permaculture design certificate, they're, they're cheap in the sense that you, you get a lot more practical skills that you can go out and implement right away opposed to learning about herb spirals and forest gardens. Yeah, when, uh, you have a, when you have a higher price point on it too, it also really brings out the people that are actually interested in doing it too. Like it brings so out those 100 people, right? Yeah, and you're and you're one of those people, Scott, and so is Drew, and, and and so that that's exactly where I'm going with this whole thing is that I want to focus on the Spartans. Like I don't I don't care about, you know, the mainstream. I think organizations like Fleet Farming in Orlando they do a good job of that, and I think th- there's always a place for that kind of thing. Like you know, they're on NBC Nightly News. Great, that's good. Okay, they can go and and get the general population interested in this. That's not what interests me. I'm interested in training farmers to go out and crush it. And, and, a, and a large part of it has to do with my political philosophy in a sense, too, that I, I think um, – and I don't want to open up this too much because I know the three of us could riff on it like so we're blue <laughs> in the face. But um, in that I've learned through farming that conservative values are, in my opinion, uh, better and make the world a better place than, than liberal values in general – and I see when pe- I see a transformation in people, I've seen it in myself and I've seen it with hundreds of people that I've trained because I've been teaching for six years now is that people who farm and then make a living at their farming always, not always, but I'd say like 90% of the time become sort of conservative. 
and conservative in the good sense, not conservative as in, uh, you know, you Bill know, Riley. yeah, or, or even just like any, any to do with people that get, um, discrimination or yeah. religious fanaticism and shit like that. But conservative values in the sense that like you make what you take, you, you go out and do something and work hard, very like, you know, principled American Western Judeo-Christian values. I, I I believe in that stuff, and I believe that it's what has made the world as good as it is, and I think we need to get back to that because we've gotten so far entitled in all this kind of stuff with, with social justice and cultural Marxism and all this crap. And so part of my mission is that if I can train really good farmers, I think I can help make really good human beings. And... That to me is all about like life purpose. And so, yeah, I want to make money at this. I would love to get rich at this stuff. Um, but I want to help people along the way. And my whole business model with this platform now is that each farm that I go to will make about twenty to thirty to forty thousand dollars to take after costs on these workshops that now they can take that money and they can update their infrastructure and they can make their farms better. And then I can come back next year and then the site is better than it was the previous year. And so it's all about my sort of core philosophy is that leave things better than you found it. Yeah. Not just a sustainable model, which is to just not hurt things and leave, and leave things um, the way yeah, you they were. Yeah, you want to actually it. make them better. Totally. Absolutely, man. I think it's it's powerful too, man, because I mean it'd be easy to just sit back and bitch and say, I like these values. If more people had these values it'd be better. But you know, you're like, well, I could do that or I could sit back and I could try to be part of the solution. And I think that's Yeah, that's, and that's, that's and that's and that's what we can all do that. And that, that that's the thing, is like people far too quickly take take themselves for granted on how powerful they can be. And so I've I've swallowed the red pill, and I've 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 seen the power of of humans and what what we can accomplish, and it's it all just starts with the willpower and, and shift of your mindset, and then you can do anything. And so I just now I I feel like the more of this nonsense I see out today it makes me want to go out and crush it even harder because it's just so many people that they just sit there and bitch and complain. They don't do anything. That just kind of motivates me more to just like pick up the slack for them and just go out and do more and, and and it also you know on 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 a selfish standpoint socially too it also brings me closer to people that are inspiring and doing it too like i don't think i would have met you guys otherwise no. so yeah. it's it's key you have if you want to like have a happy life and you want to do stuff you have to really put yourself out there and and really make your efforts noticed and you do that by by doing good things and running a good business and being fiscally sound and, and also just being a, you know, a nice person that people like it to be around. Um, and that's, that's, it's that whole, if you build it, they will come cliche. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely noticed that too, as like, I've started to execute more on like having my farm and having my own businesses and stuff, just the quality of people that now want to interact with me. Like, it's not, it's like these other people who are, and like, I don't necessarily think that I'm like killing it or anything yet, but I get to like interact with all these other people that are killing it. And then that mm-hmm. just gives me more like incentive to keep going. And it's awesome. And then I start to notice like little things in how different businesses are interacting with me where I'm like, oh, this guy's this guy's not killing it. <laughs> mm-hmm. This guy, like I don't I think this guy's probably gonna fail at his restaurant or this guy's gonna fail at doing this. And it just I don't know, it just gives you so much more clarity and stuff. Yep. Oh, absolutely. And it, and it, it's a law of um it's the law of abundance that it stacks exponentially. Like this is what I found in just life in general, is that Um, It goes both ways. You can take a scarcity-based mindset and it will stack exponentially. So a scarcity-based mindset, you have negative thoughts that consume most of your thoughts daily. And then that that will attract negative-type people to your life. And it'll attract negative habits. It'll it'll just compound on itself. But the opposite is also true when you go through abundance and that that you'll, you'll have positive thoughts and create positive situations and have positive people come towards you and it just gets better and better and better. And so you have to just constantly keep, keep pushing forward and then opportunities just continuously stack. No, that, that makes perfect sense, man. I even think just, uh, 
man, just me doing this podcast, like, and uh, coming into this scene and, and, you know, talking to you. I remember when we first met, we talked for like four hours after the show and you told me, oh, yeah, yeah. You, should, you should talk to all these guys. So that's what I did. Then you're like, you should come to, then I had Scott on and Scott was like, you should really go to Permaculture Voices. And I was like, yeah, Curtis is kind of saying that. And it's like, then I look at everything I did this year in 2016, like, then I started linking up with like the local Ohio guys. We did, you know, Hogtoberfest. And then I, I learned mm-hmm. how to butcher chickens. I learned how to butcher turkeys. And we just, butch- I just helped a guy butcher his hog there. And it's like, man, like getting involved with people that are similar thinking, have similar values. It's, you know, it's, it's amazing what you can come together and do together. And it's, um, mm-hmm. And it's so it's it's it and it and it goes back to what you said, you know, changing your mindset. You really can change the world by changing your own world because when you make changes in your life, it's gonna create ripples around everything that you do and waves around with everybody that you interact with. Because people are gonna notice the difference in you or you know, I can I, you know, I could give someone a pound of my bacon that I bought half a pig from someone and they'll they'll notice a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Or when I bring my produce to a restaurant, it's it's pretty obvious what the shelf life is versus what they get from a normal distributor. And so it's, um, it's just powerful, man. It's, it's powerful to think about how much you really can make a difference in your local world. And then once that kind of goes, how much it expands, I mean, just like, you know, I, I bet five years ago when you were sleeping on your mom's couch, you didn't think you, you probably didn't think you, you, you'd hope to be in that position. But I mean, like for how many, how much your life has changed since then, I mean, that's pretty powerful. And even just hearing you reflect it when you talk with Diego. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's, it's crazy. So on the other, uh, the other thing, um, um, my, so uh, we were talking about the courses. And then so the other part of it is we are doing internships yeah. now on the farm. And um, so it's, you know, I'm doing it because there's so much demand. And, but I'm being extremely careful about who I take. And so I've, I've kind of, I've been wrapped up in other stuff, um, at home and in my life that I haven't been able to get it out there yet, but we have three internship positions and, um, I'm very careful at who I choose. Cause I'm, this isn't about like, I'm not afraid to admit that I, I will discriminate against people for certain things because, <laughs> you know, my, my workshops are open to anybody. Anybody can come to this. But if you so these internships are six weeks and I on a flight down to uh, where the hell was I going? I think I was going to Boston or something. I read Salatin's um, Fields of Farmers. I read it in the whole the flight. One flight I read that book is so damn good. And it really made me analyze the kind of people that you bring close to your home and, and, and close to your, your personal life or your farm. And so before I, I, I'd had, you know, if somebody was really interested, I, I, I've taken a number of interns over the years and it's never really been that good because I'm always kind of disappointed with people. And because I have this very high standard of, of people. And if I, I could find guys like you or Scott, that that's, those are the kind of people that I want. And so with my, with this program, it's free, but I'm only taking three people. There's uh, three different time slots, six weeks each throughout the season, basically running from mid-May until the end of September. And um, I haven't put up the form yet, but I'm, I'm kind of following Salatin's model is that I'm, I'm only looking at applications in a certain time. So I'm going to put up this notice. I'm not going to announce the dates here, but it'll be up uh, online shortly. Um, is that I'm only going to take applications during this one week period. And so you have to get your application in there. And that's my first barrier to entry. That's my first, like, if you can't follow the rules, then I immediately know that you're not going to be a person that's going to work on my farm. And so this is, this is Salatin's approach in grading people and getting people on his farm. And so I basically just carbon copied his thing. And so you got to apply at a certain time. There's a there's a big Google Docs form that you have to go through and answer a bunch of questions. I basically just sort that based on criteria that I think is going to work on our farm. And then I'll pick the best sort of like 15 and then interview them through Skype. And then three will be offered positions. And then I'll have like a backup other six in case something happens that those other people can't come that these others can step in and take their place. And so it's it's asking a lot of people because it's like, 
okay, I'll, it, it, it's not paid, but it doesn't cost anything. You got to come here. You got to pay for a place to live for six weeks. You have to cover all of your own accommodation to come and work on my farm. So it's asking a lot, but that's what I want. I want hardcore people that are willing to put that kind of money up. And frankly, it's 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 cheaper than taking my workshop. My five day workshop depends if you're in the U.S. or Canada. It will be anywhere between a thousand and two thousand dollars. And so it's cheaper than that, but it's it's really only, I'm really only interested in, in in having the creme de la creme because that's my Spartan strategy is like the people that will intern will get everything because they're they're actually going to be they're going to witness the five day workshop so they'll be here for that they'll be working on the farm but they'll be in and out of it so they'll get everything that we do on this farm I, I feel fairly confident that six weeks is enough like our farm is so specialized that it's not like being on Joel Salatin's farm or even Jean Martin's farm um, where there's so many things because there's so many crops. Our farm is so specialized. We're, we're simple. We're more simple than we've ever been as far as our day-to-day protocols and things we do. The one thing too, is that you, you've been there so much and like you've done farm tours. Like when I went up there, I was only up there for like three hours and I took Mm -hmm. so much away from that because Mm -hmm. you've already like, it's not like you're sitting there for a week trying to figure out what you're going to explain to this person. Right. You've already done this like a thousand times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, around, and that, so. that, but that's the thing that people need in internships. And this is one thing I really pull from Salatin's book is that in order to really understand something, you need it. You need repetition of it. And so the only way to teach that is through an internship. Like I can't even teach that in my my workshop, like yeah. because I, I want a person to come and wash radishes for days on end. Like, you know, we, we only might do that for periods of a, like a certain time of the week, but I want somebody to come and do that specific task a half dozen or dozen times. Like that's important. Yeah. And, you have and, to, that's when, when I was doing martial arts, you go to class, there's an idea that you're going to learn a specific technique, whether it's like punching or doing grappling of some sort, then you drill, 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 drill. Mm-hmm. And then you need to implement that drill in your sparring or in your role and in your wrestling, whatever you're doing. Right. So same yeah. thing. Yeah, exactly. So that's so that's the whole idea uh, behind the internships, and I'm gonna do it this year in this in this new format, and I you know, hopefully it's successful. I mean, who knows? I might decide not to do it, or I might decide to expand on it. Um, I do know that I I really really enjoy teaching people, especially people that are very keen and and uh passionate that's like the best thing ever it's just it's enjoyable on all ends and so those are the kind of people that i that i want in the internships cool hey um you got to spend some time with uh elliot coleman and joel this year at yeah. different like yeah so what were your biggest takeaways from hanging out with those guys uh well elliot i only hung out with well, actually i hung out with him for about a solid four hours at, at the mother earth news in uh north carolina and elliot's such a sweet old dude and um you know he's he was my primary inspiration for when i got into farming um th- honestly there's not much to really say i mean we talked shop like we talked tools and techniques like crazy and he was very fascinated by um what i was doing he came to a couple of my talks um but you know there's not really that much to say about about that elliot's you know he's getting older he's getting slower um super wise and has brought so much to the space i don't really think elliot's innovating much though anymore because he's you know he's he's in sort of the golden years of his life uh salatin on the other hand i've hung out with on multiple occasions because um he's at all the mother earth news fairs elliot only goes to certain ones but salatin's at all of them so i i usually get to hang out with salatin in the in the vip having lunch and we we just get right into philosophy and 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 liberty conversations we barely talk farming we 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 more talk about sort of broader implications of like agriculture on society we're not really talking so much technique because joel's doing a completely different type of farming than i am but man i've i've learned a, a ton from salatin i mean one thing that's the most inspiring to me about salatin is that he can go to a conference of 100% social justice warriors and he can get up there and say the most conservative, libertarian, even Christian type things and he gets standing ovations. 
Like it blows my mind. And I asked him, I was like, Joel, how the hell? Like, cause I, I mean, I'm inspired by Joel in many ways, primarily like, uh, you know, his, his, uh, being a prolific author and public speaker are, are most relevant to my context, but you know, that it inspires me that he can do that. I said, Joel, how the hell do you go to these like total social justice conferences? You're the keynote speaker and you get a standing ovation. And you and I, I listened to these talks. I've attended many of them. And you're saying things that many of these SJWs would deem completely offensive. And then you get you get a standing ovation. And he basically said, I just kill him with kindness. It's like I just go in and say these, like he doesn't say these things like he's attacking anybody. He doesn't say these things like you guys are this, therefore you're this and your ideas are flawed. He just comes in and gives very practical examples of things like real, real world examples of why things work and why things don't and what, what a better solution is, um, and he, 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 he really covers like broad philosophical and political ideas through agriculture. And I think like his phenomenon is so ba- rooted in the Western farmer and the, the pride of the Western farmer and, and the fact that most farmers are white Judeo-Christian men, or in fact, white Christian men in the United States. Um, he's speaking to a massive audience and people, whether they're white Christian men or not, still resonate with what he says because they know it's truth. Like he he does a talk called benchmarks of truth. And it is, if you haven't seen it, I don't know if you can find it on YouTube. Maybe you can, but it's a sermon. It's a, it's so powerful because he brings all these political and philosophical, even religious ideas. And I'm not religious at all, but he, but I respect Christians and I respect uh, religion in general. But he brings all these ideas back to like physical application on the farm, which is incredibly like mind blowing to listen to because it's not an easy thing to do. But he brings it down to the most simplistic way of analyzing something, and it's like that's I think that's where his power is. He can he can convert so many people to his religion in a sense that way, and it's it's funny too because I do see a knee jerk reaction from some of the sort of SJW type people that might tune in at Salas and Stock. They go, uh, they just immediately disregard him because he's a white Christian male. But um, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting. I've certainly like I've read a number of Joel's books, and uh, yeah, super inspired by his work in general. Continuing to, and he's a guy who at his age who's still innovating. Definitely. Yeah, he said, I think, uh, I think he's, in, I mean, I remember when I, he was the first guy that I saw that got me starting to think like this. And it was in like, it was Food Inc. was first on Netflix. I think I saw it in like yeah. 2009 or 2008. And I was like, man, who's this guy butchering chickens outside? He's like doing some crazy shit, but man, does he make sense? Like it was yeah, crazy he was just speaking mind. truth. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, God, I got to figure out who this guy is. And, uh, it's uh it's it's interesting, man. So um I don't want to take up too much more of your time, Curtis. We're getting on an hour. Where do you um I guess closing this out, where do you see the ultimate expansion of your farm? You talked about moving out. Do you, do you see yourself taking a bigger step back from the farm and focusing on teaching and then really just kind of uh probably keeping mark and, and moving in, like not to get yep. too personal or finding somebody yep. to replace you in your farm for the most part? Yep. Yeah, more or less. And and Mark is that. He's he's the best guy that's ever worked for me for sure. Um and so I'm I'm in the process of actually restructuring my company right now and he has more skin in the game now and uh I'm taking a huge step back from the farm this year. So basically I'm in the process this winter of creating up the creating those structures so that he can more independently do that. The great thing about our sales, like our marketing uh, and our customers, is that it's simplified so that there's no real like management that Mark has to do. It's just like these are standing orders and just fill the standing orders unless you hear otherwise. And so that's really made it simple because so much of the of what my business has been over the years has been my ability to navigate customer service. 
and I'm pretty good at it. And I've read a lot of books on it. I've, I've worked on it. It's not a skill that you can learn really easily, especially if you're an employee. It's hard, it's hard to really hone that in. It's like, you have to have skin in the game to, in my opinion, to really get good at that. And, uh, so now that I don't have to worry about that so much anymore, all I'm really looking at is to have production done and, you know, he can do everything. And so I'm, yeah. So the intern program is going to be help for Mark and, and also me to come in and step in and, and teach this person though. Mark will probably end up doing most of the teaching. I'll be com- coming in here and there. My main focus now is to create content, uh, write another book and build another online course, a microgreens online course and, and run this new platform and then raise my kid. So I have to, I have to like, step back from the farm in order to do that because the farm still takes a lot of my time like in the summer um i mean i worked less on the farm actually no that's not true when i wrote my book in 2015 i worked less on the farm than i ever did because i had to this this year i still you know i worked a little bit more than that year but i'm still not working maybe even 30 hours a week at some points in the summer i'm certainly working 40 hours a week but my plan this year is to work no more than 20 hours a week like in the, in the main season, winter season is pretty much self-sufficient or Mark can pretty much run everything. But yeah, that's my plan is to step back, only focus on research and development. Like we're, we're in a nice place right now, like just because of my, my public profile that we get companies sending us swag to, to try. So we've got like all kinds of tools. Like I'm working with BCS. I've got this vertical grow wall. I've got these companies from China sending us all kinds of stuff. So I've got an opportunity to, to actually try different things and say, Hey, this is a product you're worth checking out. And, um, so I'm focusing on R and D and education and then, um, Mark will run the farm. And so if that continues to, to go well, which I, I'm planning it will, then, you know, I might, yeah, probably consider buying a bigger chunk of land and who knows, maybe in a couple of years, I'll, I'll, um, let Mark take over the business. Maybe he'll, take over my like live in the house or something around the farm because my my house is engrossed in our farm um right now we're putting i'm putting up a 12 kilowatt solar system on my house um that's going in before the new year and then that will power our entire operation which is going to be pretty sweet and it's a direct write-off for me too so solar's a good investment looking at it from that standpoint but i mean yeah i might i might just back away from it eventually but i still want to be on a farm like i my heart is in farming and all of my content and my relevance as a speaker and educator is all in agriculture but i do want to broaden it up because i you know there's not much more i can innovate in urban unless i get into like vertical aquaponics or hydroponics or vermaponics or whatever the new one of those is today but i'm not i'm not that interested in lab coat farming like that's just not my thing uh, it's not really relevant in where i live either if i lived in new york city or singapore it might be different but i'm more interested in soil-based ag and so um, i want to continue to innovate on that but i don't know how much more i can do in the urban setting and so this is what part part of the the, the platform the new teaching and stuff is that it'll give me opportunities to travel but f- travel with where i have the time to be in a place where i can talk about different contexts because that's one one place where my content is lacking that I sh- that I make on my farm is that I'm only in you know uh, interior southern British Columbia, and so I can do I can spin the same content, but if I'm in Memphis, Tennessee, or if I'm in New Mexico or Arizona or Texas or Southern California, it's a whole new context, and so that's that's will probably be the thing that keeps my 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 content going forward is put it in different contexts in different places. That's awesome, man. Well, that's good to hear. Um, well, I'm looking forward to your new content. I've, I've, uh, I'm a big fan and supporter of the Curtis Stone content personally. And uh, always an inspirational, man. I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and Scott today. It's cool to, it's kind of cool to take things full circle, you know what I mean? So from, mm-hmm. from the first time we talked to here we are now. And uh, yeah, so thanks again. And then uh, the best way for people to 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 find your contact or your content and and uh, your work um, is it still uh, the urbanfarmer.co or urbanfarmer.co? Yep. 
Yep, and, and it, my website has been down for the last two days. It's been driving me nuts. I, it's, it, I've maxed out my server because of traffic. <laughs> That's... And it's the third time it's happened. It's extremely frustrating. But so that is normally the best channel. Um, you know, there is some content on my farm's website, Green City Acres, though not much because I don't really update it. Uh, but, you know, the best way to to reach my content on a day-to-day basis is just watch me on YouTube. Just go YouTube, Kurt, uh, Urban Farmer Curtis Stone. And there'll and be a I've... link in the, in the show notes. And I, I highly recommend just from personally, I mean... You can learn a lot if you wanted to get into farming just by watching your your first weekly vlogs, and you switch to the dailies, and oh, yeah. tons of great it's, content and all that stuff. It's unbelievable how much more content there is, even uh, like a year and a half ago when I first started. It's unbelievable how much content <laughs> there is now. <laughs> it's you know what's crazy about content is that it's another thing of abundance. The more you produce, the better you get at producing it. And I mean, yeah, for a while I was like, how the heck? Because I wanted to go and do daily videos. And I was like, how the hell am I going to do this? But then I just started doing it, not worried about how I was going to do it. Just do it. And then so many other things allow you, like, make that so. Like, for one, it's my audience. Like, I just let my audience write the content. And I just, I, I'm in the comments every day and I list, I listen to them. And I just go, okay. every day I get at least one or two video ideas and I have this backlog of, subjects that i can do even from my office i don't even need to be outside and so that's pretty cool about it but yeah they can they can check out those those resources and um yeah great man well everybody make sure you check uh curtis out uh thanks again for for listening and uh look forward to bringing you guys another episode soon thanks a lot curtis right. and scott for joining me yeah, thanks, thanks.